Good morning, everybody. How are we all doing today? Susie, it is good to see you today. It is good to see you. I feel like things are right in the universe. Susie is back in her spot, everybody. So, that said, I am back to long sermons. I was doing short sermons for a while, but I was waiting for Susie to come back. And she's back, so so am I. Thank you, Jesus. It is, it is good to be back this morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. I was under the weather last week, speaking against it, standing against it, believing against it. And in that experience... I learned a lot about myself. I'm not going to go into the whole thing this morning. There's going to come a day when I want to talk all about it because I, uh, I did learn a lot. I learned a lot about some of my shortcomings and some of my weaknesses. And, um, and I, you know, the overarching thing that I learned over the last couple of weeks is the goodness of God is very, very good. Very, very good. God is always good and God is only good. Thank you, Jesus, for all the healing and good reports it's just, it's a blessing to hear all of the good things that is happening to the people of God. Uh, last week, or two weeks ago, I'm going to probably refer last week a few times because when I skip a week like that, I get all confused, and so I, I'm always going to be referring to last week, but it was actually two weeks ago. We looked at Matthew chapter 11. Was everybody here? Raise your hand if you were not here. A few people weren't here, but maybe caught up online. We're going to go over, uh, just review a little bit. Not, we're not going to re-preach the whole thing, but I want to review because I want to bring us all back to the same place so that we can get the second part of it, what I ridiculously thought I was going to do in one Sunday. Matthew chapter 11, in context, the passage that we looked at was uh, Matthew chapter 11. We're going to pick up in verse 25. I'll read it. We're going to kind of do just a little brief review. In verse 25, it says, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. Verse 27, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Verse 28, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we looked at this in context that it doesn't, Jesus isn't just bringing a message to the disciples of just kick back. There's nothing to do. And you can preach that if we just take this section. We talked a lot about context and how context is king. The context that we find a passage of scripture in, in other words, rules. What does a king do? A king rules. Now, we're not super familiar with that in this country. We don't have a king. But a king, what the king says goes. So the context of a verse in scripture rules or determines the way that we can read it, the way that we can interpret it, the way that we can understand it. See, without context, without some governing force, you can make scripture say whatever you want. And that's not what Jesus intended. And we talked last week about how, or two weeks ago, the Great Commission, how Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples, preach unto all people, teach them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And that sounds a little different than rest. My burden is easy, my yoke is light. That sounds almost like it contradicts, like they're contradictory statements. But we understand in context that what the Lord has called us to, what we as believers have been commissioned to do, isn't necessarily going to be easy and it might not look like rest, but what Jesus is getting at in Matthew chapter 11 is that we can rest as an attorney rests his case. We can now rest with regards to righteousness. We looked at how earlier in the chapter, John the Baptist had sent his disciples to Jesus. Is everybody familiar with this? Sent his disciples to Jesus said, are you the Messiah or should we look for another? And we talked about this a little bit and this morning as I was kind of going back over stuff, I thought... I want to spend just a few minutes here again because as American Christians, we're so far removed from Judaism that we don't necessarily understand the magnitude of what it means for the Messiah to come. In our lives, in our moments of weakness and failure, when we receive Jesus, we think we understand what it means to be saved. And from our perspective, we do, but the, the context that Jesus is referring to when he's talking to John the Baptist the Messiah had come. Thousands of years of prophecy 
had been fulfilled in the person of Jesus, and now the one prophesied from the foundations of the earth had come, and so the means of right standing, every means of right standing that we could achieve right standing before God, everything that had been up to that place was now fulfilled. So now, after thousands of years of prophecy, our means of righteousness changes. And this is huge. It's so big, I think we could preach on it for a year and we probably would have no real still understanding of how deep these roots run. How deep it runs. Because when the Messiah comes, everything that had been holding the place for the Messiah is now able to be removed. Think about it like this. And I've been, I've been wrestling with whether or not to share this and we're just going to go with it. So just hang on, everybody. You, I know maybe not everybody understands what I do for a living. I do... Uh, more mobile welding and repair, a lot of heavy equipment and farm equipment and whatnot. But I also do a tiny little bit of fabrication. And when you fabricate something, uh, so first of all, fabrication, when you weld something with steel, you know, build something out of steel, it's not really very movable anymore. It's fixed. When you fabricate it all up, it's like, and it's all welded solid, it's no longer able to be moved. I assure you, if it does move, it's like there's a problem, usually. So in other words, in order to make something perfect, we set up what's called a jig. So we'll set up sawhorses. If I'm going to build a frame, a square frame of something, I'm very fussy with it. It must be perfect. And so first of all, first of all the thing that's going to hold what I'm going to make, I usually use sawhorses, and on my sawhorses I've got leveling screws so I can level the sawhorses so they're perfectly level. Is that, I mean, they sit okay, and you might walk into my shop and think, what are you, why, what's with the tiny little pieces of metal under the screws and all that? Well, it's, I want them to be perfect, because I don't want it to be close. I want whatever I'm building to be perfect. So I start out, I level my sawhorses all up. I'm going to talk through this fairly quick. And then, a lot of times, if I'm going to make a bunch of something, I'll make a jig. Make the first one. Make a template. And then, so if it's something out of box tubing, you make a all the pieces, tack them all together, square them. And it takes, if you, was, if you had never witnessed something like this, you would think, my goodness, what is taking so long? It takes, that first one takes a lot of time. And you measure corner to corner, and then you measure corner to corner, and then cut a tack and tap it a little bit, and we're about 30 second off, and we cut it again, and we'll tack it, and we adjust it, and tweak it. Because when you weld something, it pulls a little bit. So there's a lot that goes into that thing number one. But then, once that template is done, then you see it start to roll. Because we'll, I weld tabs on the side of everything. And then I put all the pieces up on the jig, and I lay them out on top, and that jig holds all these pieces. Clamp, 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 clamp. Tack, 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 tack. Weld it, and it's done. And it's literally, depending on what I'm making, it's like almost that fast. The first one took two hours. And then this next one is just, but what I'm getting at and the point of what I want to share this morning in this analogy or metaphor is once that top piece, so I make the first one, this whole big long process, we level the sawhorses and everything, All we get all the tabs on and everything, you're all following me here, right? We're building a square and we want it to be perfect and we're going to make a whole bunch more of them. After I set the second pieces on top, and I weld them. Do I need the jig anymore? I need it for the next one, but for that one, it's done. Now, once I set all those pieces on top of the jig, tack them all together, I can go through and take clamps off, can't I? With no fear that it's going to move. If you take this metaphor all the way out and some of you are thinking about it, you're thinking, well, it could pull. It could, and then we chain it to the floor and straighten it all out. That's where we leave the metaphor scripturally here. But do you understand what I'm saying? Once it's fastened together, I don't need the jig anymore. I don't need the thing that held its shape. Do you follow me here? So now Jesus has come 
Now everything that was holding the shape for Jesus, this whole old covenant law, the entire purpose of that old covenant law was to hold the shape for the Messiah, was to make a way. We're going to talk this morning a little bit about Matthew chapter 12. And in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus appears to violate the Sabbath. Thousands of years of Sabbath tradition appears to be violated by the person of Jesus. Now, you've, if you've been here for any length of time, you're inside yourself chuckling right now thinking, how can the Sabbath violate the Sabbath? Because Jesus is our Sabbath rest. But to the Pharisees, to the disciples, to the first century church, <coughs> I apologize, I've got a little bit of cough left. To that first century church, it, uh, it's a little bit, Difficult to understand, difficult to get our brains around like, he came, this has been a big part of our means for right standing. Not understanding that that seventh day observation, while it's good, I want to be real clear, it's really healthy for us as humans to take a day off. It's even more healthy for us as believers to take a day off and spend it with Jesus. Okay, that's a good thing. That's not required for your righteousness anymore. Because Jesus, all that did was that held the shape. That was the template. That was the jig that held the shape for Jesus to come. But see, now Jesus came. And that's what we're going to get at here this morning. We're kind of in the middle of review, but I, kind of, I skipped ahead a little bit, so everybody just follow with me. We looked, we looked at the... Uh, the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and they asked him, are you the Messiah? And that was kind of where we broke off. And then we talked about which is it? Is it rest or is it go into all the world? Last week we looked at it's rest with regards to righteousness. All other methods of achieving or acquiring righteousness or right standing before God are now null and void. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man, past, present, or future, comes to the Father except through me. We looked last week a little bit about hoarders. Do you guys remember talking about hoarders a little bit and how as believers, we tend to be kind of, we get to be a little bit hoarders where we've got our little boxes of righteousness, our little, and this kind of ties directly into what we're talking about this morning. We've got our little boxes and it's like, well, this was like what the, this was all like my not swear days. So I've got my not swear, I don't need that big of a box, a smaller box. But this is my not swear days. This is my going to church days. Weeks didn't miss church. We should have a box for that. We shouldn't, but we tend to. The whole overarching thing, if you were titling this morning's teaching, would be labor and heavy laden part two because we are often and easily weighed down and laboring under the burden of our right standing carrying our right standing with God. You see, has anybody heard about sacred cows? Like, I, I mean, I have some, some cuts from sacred cows in my freezer, but we don't, we don't really understand sacred cows super well in our culture, but there's cultures in the world that worship cows, and how many of you, we know that cows have nothing to do with our right standing before God. Like, a lot of times preachers reference them like, oh, yeah, well, this is where we kill the sacred cow. But there are people that believe that a cow is sacred and has to do with their right standing before God. This is where this comes from. There's things as believers that we have that are sacred cows. And they moo in the barn and we feed them and we care for them. And they have nothing to do. No bearing whatsoever on our standing with God. But we think they do. Wow! There's all kinds of these things. This is what we're talking about with these things that we hoard as Christians. Like, well... I'm all about being saved by grace, but it's grace and it's my ability to go on mission trips. No, it ain't. It's just Jesus. Well, but he said he commissioned us to go into all the world. Yes, he did. He gave us an instruction. That's not a qualification. There's a huge difference. He gives us all kinds of instructions. Paul gives us all kinds of instructions. But what we tend to do, and this is the whole point of what I'm getting at this morning, and I'm kind of... I'm really excited, and I only, I want to just share with everybody, I have one page of notes, and I've never done this before. <laughs> We're almost done. I'm hungry. Walking with Jesus, we've talked a lot about renewing our minds, 
haven't we? We talk about, I mean, over and over for years, we talk about the importance of renewing our minds. And it's important to renew our minds because we forget things. And we get new sacred cows. We can kill off a whole barn full of sacred cows, freeze them, sell them in quarters and halves, and fry them up that summer, and the next year we've got a whole new bunch of calves in the barn. We're thinking these might be our new sacred cows. You might be thinking, okay, where are you going with this? What I'm getting at is humans tend or we gravitate towards self-reliance. I'm bringing all this full circle. Some of you are like, where was the whole jig thing? Bear with me. As humans, we gravitate. Does anybody know what it means to gravitate? Somebody want to shout something out, what it means to gravitate. The effects of gravity drawing something to. So gravity is in existence right now, correct? It's functioning, fully functioning. So <coughs> right now, my papers and my Bible are defying gravity, right? Because they should be on the ground. But this stand is helping them to defy gravity. Understand that for something to gravitate, it just means that it's always being drawn towards something. So if I was to slide my papers off, they just fall right down. Now it takes effort to pick them back up, but it's effortless for them to fall. As believers, because we also happen to be humans, we gravitate towards getting ourselves back in the game. So we get born again. <clears throat> I'm going to guess that there's somebody in here that's been born again less than a year. It means they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ within the last year. And at that moment of faith and trust in Jesus, we realize we're at the end of ourselves. We realize I can do nothing. It has to be all Jesus. And there's probably someone in here, I'm sure there's someone in here that's been born again for 30, 40, maybe 50, 60 years. They also began at the end of themselves. <clears throat> in that year, or 60, there's been little things that have happened, little instructions that we've gotten. And we tend to, just like gravity, we just keep inching our way, little by little, back to us. We're, you know, we've got the instruction, you know, don't forsake the assembling together of the body, and so, so it's important that we come to church. Absolutely. I want you guys to come to church. I love having people here to preach to share, to discuss, to do life with, to pray with, to stand with. But you know what? Coming to church doesn't save you. Doesn't make you righteous. You we don't have a box that we can put our coming to church cards in. I mean, we could make a box if you guys wanted a box at the back of the church, but in our lives, there's no place for that because everything was filled with the person of Jesus. A hundred percent of our righteousness determines, is determined by the person of Jesus Christ. It's unnatural for us to trust only in Jesus, though. So we begin in grace. We begin in unmerited and unearned favor, receiving a free gift that we didn't earn, that we don't deserve, and then we come to church and tend to be reminded of our relative unworthiness. And so we're, we got to go work. We got to get back to work. We got to go do our other thing. We got to do our list of things. Realizing we're not going to get it perfect, and every one of us would agree we're not going to get it perfect, but we're going to keep trying, and we're going to take scriptures out of context to beat each other with periodically, or ourselves, most commonly ourselves. Well, I'm not doing very good. You know, if any man continues sin, like we're, that's, if we, we're all going to continue to verb sin, Jesus changed the noun on the inside of us. The noun's been changed. Your identity, a verb is an action. A noun's a person, a place, or a thing. And Jesus came to live on the inside of us, to be right standing for us. He came so everything in the Old Testament that was a type and a shadow, that was that jig or that template of righteousness, Jesus came. All of that's been fulfilled we can take the clamps off now. We can hold fast, as Paul wrote to the church of Galatia, hold fast to the liberty wherewith Christ has set us free. Christ took the clamps off of this life. But we keep raising up these sacred cows. We're going to look at some of this this morning. We have a lot to cover. 
Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 1, we're coming out of this, come to me all you who are labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. We're coming right out of this. And understand we talked about last week that we added verses and chapters. So when Matthew would have written this, there was no chapter or verse line here. It went right from verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, into verse 1 of chapter 12 at that time. <clears throat> Sorry. Verse 1 of Matthew chapter 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. We're just going to read like 14 verses so everybody get kind of comfortable here. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him to eat, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. Verse 7, but if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, is it lawful for, for to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Their intent was accusation. Verse 11, then he said to them, what man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into the a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value than is, is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Verse 13, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Bow with me if you would. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today, for the opportunity that we have to open your word together to open your word and to hear from the Spirit of God. Father, I just pray a fresh breath from the Holy Spirit on this word this morning, that it would be, become alive and anew to each of us this morning, that no one would hear me, but that everyone would only hear what you desire them to hear this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you interpret this for us. You help us to understand it with clarity. We just pray clarity over this word this morning and freedom and liberty over these, my family, in Jesus. Jesus' name we pray, amen. Sacred cows. You see, Jesus is kind of kicking off the theme of most of the entire New Testament. You say, wow, what do you mean by that? Everyone up to this point had needed to keep the Sabbath. They needed to keep the Sabbath as a right standing before God. Now, it was a type and a shadow of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. That rest is a person, his name is Jesus. That rest remains for us. But up to this point, and we've talked about this, and I, don't, I, I shy away from even saying this, I don't want to hammer this, but I do want to hammer this because it's so important for us to get a hold of this. It is with incredible subtlety that things creep into our belief system. And we've, I've talked about this a lot this morning. But things creep in and they become part of our righteousness. They sneak in sideways. Maybe it's the way that you speak. And it's important. Proverbs 18 talks about life and death is in the power of the tongue and those that love it will eat of its fruit. But you know what? As important as that instruction is, it's really important that we don't make that part of our righteousness. Speaking life is important, 
Absolutely. But it's not your right standing before God. It's a great instruction. Believing correctly. Understanding that Jesus is our complete righteousness. That's where freedom is. And as I said, Jesus is kicking this off. The entire New Testament, almost every letter or book written from here on involves some form and some entire books are directed at getting ourselves away from ourselves as our Savior. It might be something as simple as festivals and new moons. It might be something as personal as circumcision. It might be something like who you're seen associating with. But the whole rest of the New Testament is being, this is being dealt with, getting ourselves out of the seat of Savior. Getting our part to be only believing. You see, believing, right believing, will eventually affect every part of our lives. But right living Making a whole list, going through the New Testament, the Old Testament, the whole Bible, making a list of how to behave and then trying to do it will never lead to right believing. It will always lead us to just being exhausted, to a point of complete and total exhaustion, to the point we will oftentimes walk away from faith because we can't do it. We can't stand. It doesn't hold up. The context of this is beautiful. Jesus invites his disciples in Matthew chapter eleven twenty eight. 28. He says, come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The old way is exhausting. Come to me. If you're exhausted, come to Jesus. If you're exhausted trying to keep it up, trying to keep up that performance, it will lead us to exhaustion. And if you're there, Come to Jesus. And the very next point, the entire point this morning is built around is walking with Jesus as your righteousness will often look differently than where you've come from. It might look differently than where you're at right now. What do I mean by this? I mean, these disciples, this was not a deal. Like, like I, I, I've shared this several times last or two weeks ago and today. The magnitude of them harvesting grain to eat on, on their Sabbath, which would have been Saturday, the magnitude of that is lost on us. This was like a massive, vi- this is saying, and Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 12, verse 6, he says, yet I say to you, this is Jesus talking, in this place there is one greater than the temple. Verse 8, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Up to this point, keeping the Sabbath was the top. And Jesus comes along and he says, this is keeping the Sabbath, and I'm up here. I'm over it. I'm above it. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not Lord of Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus instituted the Sabbath rest to hold the place for him. So that there was an understanding in everyone that read the law, that interpreted the law, that studied the law, that kept the Sabbath, there was an understanding of this point in time where we cease from labor. And it's like, well, where does this fall with us today? It's important because we jump back into labor. We keep our Sunday oftentimes as an act of labor. There's a lot of people wandering around Christianity today that think today's the Sabbath. Today's not the Sabbath. It was yesterday in a day of the week. But you know what? The Sabbath is here with us. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord of the Sabbath has come. Now we celebrate. It's important to take, I'm all for taking a day off. But this, and this whole thing, the point of this, I'm not trying to just focus on the Sabbath I just want us to look at this from the standpoint of all of our little sacred cows, all of our little days of the week, our things that we, well, you like, I talked about the boxes last week about the things that we hoard, our little, little bits of righteousness, our little things like, I did a good thing this week. That's great. We're created to do good things, but not to put them in a box so that when we go to be with Jesus, we're like, 
here you go, Lord. I did all these wonderful things. That's nothing. Paul says that's all filthy rags. It has no value to the Father. Jesus is all we bring. And there's a tremendous faith that comes in here. You know, I've got some friends that are really particular. They're great people. We're really, our whole group of people, we're pretty fussy about stuff. So we don't think anybody can do anything right. Does anybody know anybody like that? That's why it was to have a little conversation. You know somebody that's like, nobody can do anything right. Like you could hire somebody to build something for you and you can sit there and find all a dozen things that are wrong. You could ride with somebody. This is one of my personal pet peeves. I can't, I just want to confess to you all, I can't ride with anybody in the car. I think there's a lot of great safe drivers. I can't ride with anybody. It bothers me the way everyone drives. Everyone so when we go on long trips, I get exhausted because my wife can't drive, obviously. <laughs> and, no, and none of the other cars on the road can drive. It's exhausting. But do, do you guys know somebody that's like, nobody can do anything quite right. And so in our, my group of friends, the, that saying like, well, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. That's, a, that's a, it's kind of a, a phrase, it's a, it's a saying, and, and we remind each other of that period. It's like, well, hey, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. Doesn't matter what it is, you got to do it yourself. And that's a fun little thing to talk about. It's exhausting when you go like really long distances and the driving thing is your thing. It's, that's my thing. But the, the issue is that we bring that into Christianity. We bring that into our standing with God. You want something done right, I got to do it myself. I'll keep the Sabbath. I'll do my thing right. And I'm for all of us doing right things. Everyone here, I am not like, this is not a message of lawlessness. Just go and do whatever, whenever, whoever, wherever, however. That's not what I'm getting at. But whatever we do isn't our standing with God. It is not. Good or bad. And we get that with some things. And this is what I feel like the Lord has just, just took a hold of my insides on this. That it is not good, bad, or otherwise. All of our things are second and under Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of your behavior. And Jesus is the Lord of your misbehavior. Jesus is over everything. So when we approach the Father, we never approach the Father based on I did pretty good, like, last week was a good week for me. That's not how we, so maybe, maybe the Lord will shine down a little extra. What? No, it's all Jesus. And you are completely forgiven. I'm going to say something that might ruffle someone. If you are within the sound of my voice, you are completely forgiven. Period. Now somebody in here just thought, or online just thought, well not if you don't believe. Oh no, you're completely forgiven. Just a matter of whether you're going to enjoy it. It is just a matter of whether we will enjoy it. Whether we will believe it, we can enjoy it. We can rest. And this morning... I share this truth with a lot of people all the time. And from the perspective of becoming born again, it's, it's pivotal. But as believers, and this is what I just, I feel really strong this morning as believers, somebody that's walked with the Lord for a long time, maybe decades. I feel like there's people this morning within the sound of my voice, maybe in this room, maybe gonna listen online later, that have walked with Jesus for a long time but we're still carrying performance. We've raised a whole new herd of sacred cows. We've built these little things. We believe in Jesus, but we got out in the barn, we got our whole barn of sacred cows, our whole, all of the things. If I was to have a whiteboard, and I contemplated doing this, but I wasn't sure it could get really long and whatnot this morning, but I contemplated bringing a whiteboard, and we could all make a list of our things. 
Some of you are thinking of your things right now. Your things, like if I could quit doing this, I think I'd be right with God. If I could start doing this, I know I'd be right with God. I know that God would see me differently if you fill in the blank. It's these things that the enemy, what I, was, what I started with is that gravitational pull of the earth. We gravitate towards ourselves. See, naturally, we're self-focused. We're prideful, which is just a fancy way of saying self-focused. We, we, everything, we tend to read scripture, and uh, a pastor at a church, I just lost his name right now, a church down in Alabama, Kirk, what's the guy's name? Brandon Ball. He talks about, uh, and I love the way that he talks about, he, he talks about you can eisegete scripture, take scripture apart and out of context and make it say something. We can exegete scripture, we can look at scripture in the context is what the proper thing to do, and then we can narsegete scripture which is most of Christianity. Where am I and how does this fit for me? Where where we look at everything through the lens of us. As believers this morning, church, I want to invite you to rest and look at everything through the lens of Jesus. Every story in here is a picture not of you but of Jesus. Every parable in here is a picture not of you but of Jesus. Look for Jesus in Scripture. Look at the world through the lens of Jesus. Look at yourself through the lens of Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, the spotless lamb, the propitiation, the only sacrifice that was good enough. You know, we could all volunteer to be crucified for our sins and it would not pay the bill because we don't have any spotless blood. We could die for them and all we'd be is dead. Jesus died for them, and it says, as John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who cover over? No. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. The magnitude of that church, every sacrifice offered to the cross, up to the cross, it was just covering over them. It's just like, well, it was just cover over this. Has anyone seen? This is not a great, I shouldn't never, never mind. That's not a great reference. The picture of just covering something up. Does everybody remember being a kid and you've made a mess? Something that's like far worse than what you could, as uh, you can fix. As a child, your skills of actual repair are pretty minimal. So we usually, I'm just telling, I'm telling on myself, as a kid, I tended not towards fixing things, but towards covering things up. Or, rigging up some sort of a setup so it looked like it just happened, like maybe my parents did it when they walked in. I was, great. I was a rigger. I like to rig things up. So it's like, whoa, look what you did, Dad. <laughs> Unfortunately for me, my parents were very shrewd. And they usually saw through this stuff. But you know what? You remember what it's like to be a child and to, and to make, make a mess, to cause a problem. And our first thought as humans is what? How can I cover this up? We could, we could just put something over it. That's, our, that's the easiest thing is we'll just, we'll just put it behind something. We'll cover over it. All of the sacrifices that had been offered up to the cross, none of them removed any sin at all. Left it all where it lay. And then it was just like, We'll just cover over it. But then Jesus comes along and he takes what was covering the sin and the sin and he takes it away and removes it as far as the east is from the west. Did you hear that? He doesn't just take the sin. He takes everything away and removes it as far as the east is the west and cleans our slate, gives us the right to stand before God. Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I just love this picture. 
I love this picture that walking with Jesus today, walking with Jesus solidly in the seat of our righteousness, it looks different. It might feel different. You might be here this morning, this might be the first time you've ever heard anything like this. This might be something, I don't know about this. That's okay. That's all right, just sit with it. Let the Holy Spirit minister to this truth to your heart. Spend a little time reading some of Paul's letters, reading the book of Galatians, and seeing how the church at Galatia, like I said, we gravitate. Humanity, everywhere the gospel went, produced a question, what, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And then pretty directly after that question was some kind of a sacred cow. Some kind of a thing we got to do. Some kind of a earning it. And as, as believers today in the church in 2021, there is all kinds of things that we have brought in and we have created to be the things that stand in our defense. Like, well, we got born again, but we still got our boxes of our righteousness. We still got our little things that are, well, you know, like, because when we go to be with Jesus, we don't want to just come in there with nothing. We want to have something that we've done, right? Something that we've kept, right? Some, well, I, I, I've done some good. But church, our good, our good doesn't, it's not even relevant. Our good's not even, re- it doesn't even relate to our righteousness. It doesn't compare. It's not on the same plane. It's not even the right currency, We can't pay the bill with our righteousness. It's the wrong currency. It has to be Jesus' righteousness. It has to be Jesus' righteousness. And church, it has to be only Jesus' righteousness. It can't be Jesus' righteousness. It's it's like if we were to go to the store today, you pick the store you go to the store today and you got some pesos and you got some money from Germany and you got some money from uh, like a couple of different countries ago from Russia. You've got some money from, I'm not sure where, but it was the continent of Africa somewhere. I was on a mission trip and I got these coins and you got $3. And you go to the store and you get $100 worth of groceries and you go up there and you're like, all right, here's all my, this is, I want to buy all these things. And the cashier will tell you what? It's $100 for that. You say, perfect. I've got all this money. Now, this sounds ridiculous, everyone, okay? I understand this sounds ridiculous. Just let me finish this metaphor. So you hand her first. We're going to go, we'll go with Jesus. We'll lead with Jesus. We hand our $3. Here's our $3, and that's Jesus' righteousness. But then we're going to add to it all of this other things. They would just look at you and say, it's got to be all this one. This, I don't, I can't pronounce these words. I don't recognize the pictures on this money. This currency is irrelevant. It's got to be all this one. If we can't, if it's not all Jesus, all his righteousness, then you don't get all of these groceries. We don't, and I, I, it sounds like I've cheapened righteousness. Please, church, I'm not cheapening righteousness, understand? I just want to paint that picture that we have to leave all of the other coins we've collected in this life at home. When we die, when we leave this life, and all of us are going to leave this life, either through the rapture or through death, we will all get to the other side. And we have to leave every coin, every currency that we picked up through all of our travels through life has to be left at home. The only currency we enter the kingdom with is Jesus. That's it. The Philippian jailer Ask Paul and Silas. I know I preach about this a lot, but you guys are all familiar with the story of the Philippian jailer. Paul and Silas got thrown in prison for sharing the gospel. Threw them in prison. They're like, they couldn't legally throw them in prison because they were Roman citizens. And at that point, you couldn't throw a Roman citizen in prison without a trial. But they threw them in prison anyways because they were preaching the gospel and that had to stop. So they think, this is pretty rough. We got beat. We're in the darkest part of this prison in stocks. And they say to themselves, this is the perfect time for a worship service. This is is a great time. All these prisoners, we couldn't witness these prisoners otherwise. We had to get thrown in prison to share Jesus. Let's have a worship service right here and now. And they're in the stocks. 
Paul looks over at Silas. You ready? What do you want to do first? We'll do it in the key of C, whatever we do. And they start singing, and they have a worship service, and there's an earthquake, and all, all of their chains fall off. So they're standing, they're standing there free to go. I'm leaving. I just want to share with you, if I'm not a moment of faith, but this guy's out. I just got my back beat raw, and I got out of the stocks. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to church next Sunday, and I'm going to tell about Jesus' miracle. But I'm definitely leaving. They stay there. And they're still there ministering to the other prisoners. And the Philippian jailer comes back, and he sees everything's all shaken and blown to bits. He's like, these guys are all gone. I'm going to die. And Paul cries out of the darkness. And he says, no, 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 no. Because the guy was going to kill himself. The jailer was going to kill himself. He says, they're, either they're going to kill me tomorrow morning because all these prisoners are gone, or I'll just kill myself now. Paul cries out and he's like, no, no, no. We're all still here. Do you understand the point of this whole story, guys? The whole point of this story was for that guy to get born again. That's the whole point because immediately following this Philippian jailer says, whoa, what must I do to be saved? And Paul did not give him a whole barn full of sacred cows to keep. Paul said what? Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That is the gospel. If it's got us in it, it's not good news. Jesus is good news. Tommy, you want to go ahead and come up, come up and play a little music? I want to present this this morning as we, we're done. We're wrapping up. Well, those are two different sentences. <laughs> we're wrapping up. We're soon to be done. I just, I feel, we don't do this real often here, but I feel it's important as we close this morning, I want to present an opportunity for introspection. And it doesn't have to be a, like, nothing's weird, okay? We don't do weird here that well. It's a family room. Now, I mean, it's, it's some things that people say, it was like, but it's a family room. I just want to, I want to give us the opportunity to, to stop and think. Introspectively, are there areas of our lives? Is there cows that we've been feeding in the barn? We've been feeding some of these cows. I've been feeding some of these cows for years. In the last couple of weeks, I've got the opportunity to see who they were and what they were, what I was trusting them for. Realize that everything that we receive from the Father is free. There's nothing for sale in the kingdom of heaven. There's no promise of God that you can earn. There's no gift of God. There's no gift of God that you can do enough to get. Jesus did it all. So often, as believers, we come to Jesus like the rich young ruler, don't we? And we say, what must I do to inherit Missing the whole concept of inheritance. Missing it all entirely. We're ready to earn it. We say, God, do you need me to read my Bible more this week? Man, I'll read my Bible more this week and I'm going to get more revelation and I'm going to walk in more. I'm all for reading your Bible, church. I'm all for spending time in the Word of God. I'm all for prayer. But it cannot be from the perspective of trying to earn something from the Father. We cannot earn what Jesus bought and gave us. And as we try to earn, when we try to earn, when we, like the gravitational pull of the earth, pulls us back into the game, we dishonor the cross and the work that Jesus did. He did it all. All we do to honor the work that Jesus did is to believe. We're going to bow and pray. And I just want to invite you to take a minute with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. Bow with me if you would.
Heavenly Father, we come to you through the blood of Jesus this morning. Some of us, we've got a few coins that we've brought from other places, some sacred cows that we've been standing on, some things that we've been trusting in. Father, we lay them all at your feet, all of our crowns, all of our achievements, all the things that we've done. We lay them all at your feet. We just worship you this morning. Jesus, Messiah, Savior of all. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the gift of righteousness that cannot be earned and cannot be deserved by us. But you bought it, you paid for it in full gave it to us freely so that as we receive love from the Father we can in turn give love to all those around us in the church in the world that we can love people well your kind of love Father I just pray renewal that we can renew our minds as Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 to your mercies. Your mercies are new every morning. Father, we just renew our minds to that right now. Whether we've believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for a day or a week or a year or 50 years, Father, we renew our minds to your mercies. Your great mercies, Father. Thank you that Jesus is enough. Pray a blessing over this body and we just declare that the steps of the righteous will grow brighter and brighter. Thank you, Father, that you have given us strong families, husbands that love their wives and wives that love their husbands, children that we can bring up in the word of God, the power of his might. Father, I thank you for the Holy Spirit, interpreter, guide. Father, I pray a blessing over this body as we go from this place that we can go forth boldly. The Bible says that the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Father, I just pray that an awareness of our righteousness in you would flood our hearts and minds as we go out into the darkness. That we can go out into the darkness with boldness, confident in our expectation of your good. Pray a hedge of protection over this body as we go from this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.